always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. Today it is official. You are screwed. The price of homes has risen so high that working people on good incomes can no longer afford to buy their own home. And that is the reality. It seems odd to say, but in the middle of this biggest economic crisis since the war, prices look to be shooting up. So what's happening? Irish property prices are climbing at a rate we haven't seen here for more than seven years. And in the last year alone, the average cost of a home jumped by just over 15%. Many won't need a report to know housing has become unaffordable. Housing prices in Ireland rising by €100 Euro a day. Just think about that for a second. When I saw that yesterday, I was like, what? Sorry, what? Most estate agents are forecasting continued price growth for the remainder of the year and beyond. But can they really be so sure? This is the industry and they have a, you know, a, a vested interest in, in, in talking up the market, if only to entice investment. And what we've seen in the past... In 2007, 2008, you know, a lot of estate agents were talking about how healthy the market was, even though it was on the brink of a massive implosion. Owen Burke Kennedy is the Irish Times economics correspondent. At the beginning of COVID, we saw estate agents talking in very gloomy words uh, about where the market was going to go, it was going to tank, there'd be no demand. And of course, we now know what happened was the complete opposite. So I'm just saying when you when you look at all these reports and, and you read about all these outlooks, they haven't got it right a lot of the time. Why that is, you know, you, you might be cynical and say, well, maybe there's a vested interest in talking it up all the time. But all I can say to you is that they're not always right. And a, a lot of the times recently they've been actually wrong. So are there any clear signs that actually this upward spiral might end soon and the COVID-induced price surge might have reached a tipping point? I'm Connor Pope and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, has the Irish property market reached the peak of the current price wave? At the start of this week, it emerged that Irish property price inflation hit a seven-year high in March, with prices 15.2% higher than a year earlier. But in a piece which appeared just a day before that, you suggested that we're reaching the peak. What makes you think that? Well, remember at the start of the pandemic, everybody presumed we were um, it was going to trigger a de- decline in values. State agents, developers were all predicting very gloomy uh, outlooks. Uh, we got the opposite. We Not exactly a bubble, but we got a surge in prices linked to things like people re-evaluating their living circumstances, remote working, increased savings. And of course, the factor that bedevils the Irish market most, the lack of supply. So some of these factors are kind of now wearing thin. Uh, Savings rates are now coming back to normal. People are returning to work. So some of those pandemic-related factors are beginning now to unwind. So that's a a, a principal reason why you you might see a moderation in headline inflation. But the latest figures you refer to, the 15%, I mean, certainly points to a very hot market. But if you drill into the figures a little bit more, you'll see that the month-on-month increase was only 0.6%, which is the lowest in a year. So a bit of moderation there. And then there's another metric, the number of actual transactions fell by 0.8%. So that was quite interesting that those two metrics now point to moderation. And then the other factor I'd point to is the, the, the headline figures we get are based on stamp duty transactions. So not only do they refer to March, but those stamp duty transactions are, are based on purchases that were done two or three months ago. So the snapshot you're getting from the property market probably is around December, January. So we're actually now like in May. So we won't know what's actually going on in the property market officially from the CSO 
for another few months. So mm. what's happening right now, you'll probably be reading in the August set of figures. In the piece, you also reference the fact that property cycles have three distinct phases. There's boom, there's slump, and there's recovery. I mean, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? And is there is it always the case? And is there anything we could do to change that cycle, to learn from past mistakes and maybe develop a market that doesn't go boom, bust, recovery, and maybe just moderately increases over time in a way that wouldn't terrify us every single year? Yeah, well, I can't say for certain that it's always boom, bust, slump and recovery, but you know that's, what, that's what's been observed over like 100 years of observation. And there's a, a, a seminal reason for that is that construction takes time and there's a lag factor. So when builders and developers go out to build, they're thinking units are coming to market in two or three years' time. So we have this prolonged period of demand outstripping supply, and then suddenly supply comes on stream. And so there's a lag factor. And when there is a lag factor like that in an industry, we typically get volatility because we have undersupply for a period, and then suddenly we have the supply and sometimes the supply overshoots demand. So just think back to the financial crisis. In 2006, we built 90,000 homes. Like we're actually trying to build 25,000 this year. 90,000 homes. And of course, when those units came to market, they came to market just after a massive financial blowout and loads of them were left unsold. So you could see where we had this like massive undersupply and then oversupply. So there's an inherent volatility. And then much of the market is based on leverage, people borrowing, estimating what they're going to get in returns, and that creates volatility. So unfortunately, there is a cyclical, natural cyclical element to property the world over. It's not totally peculiar to Ireland, but we definitely have had very extreme, very volatile movements in property, in prices and in supply and demand. The last crash was precipitated by a credit bubble and, as you say, a massive oversupply of houses, 90,000 houses built in one year just before the crash. But we don't have a credit bubble now and we certainly don't have an oversupply of houses. So does that mean that we are to some degree protected from a crash on the scale that we endured in 2008, 2009, 2010? Well, the simple answer to that is yes, absolutely, because when property prices went crash down everybody from the banking sector to the government eventually was you know had a skin in the game you'll see now that the new players in the irish market are institutional investors so most of the building in dublin most of the apartment building in the country is being funded by foreign funds so if there was a crash in prices they're the ones that are going to suffer uh, the kind of credit crunch if you like. So the average person, you know, won't. And the big reason for this is the central bank and its mortgage rules has really restrained buyers from overborrowing. So they have insulated the sector and to a certain extent borrowers from uh, overstressing themselves. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that. People think the, the, the central bank's rules, the three and a half times your income are too draconian and too limiting on people. The central bank are at the moment analysing their rules to see if maybe there's wriggle room to be changed in some way. But it's, it's difficult to know. And it, it seems like a lot of the mood music coming out of central bank is that the mortgage rules have worked in the one objective of making sure that we don't have another banking blowout. Another phrase that struck me in your piece, Owen, was you described the property sector as a highly financialised asset. What do you mean by that? 
Well, you th- if you think about maybe, you know, a time 40 years ago, houses were simply things to house workers. They were built by builders and developers who made modest returns. Somewhere along the line, property has become a vehicle for wealth and investment. And we have an absolute gigantic wall of trillions of euros of money being invested all over the world. So there's literally just a wall of speculative money traversing the world looking for real estate investment with healthy returns. So think of the 2008 global financial crash. The trigger was subprime debt. That had been bundled together, securitized in these bundles, sold on from banks, and it blew up. Like a lot of the parties that actually held this debt didn't even know you know, how close these households were to not being able to pay their monthly repayments. So the whole thing, you know, was was a powder keg. But it doesn't deflect from the point that there is huge amount of institutional investment in the market. So when you're going out as a, as a couple to buy a home, you're competing with these investment funds who are obviously, you know, have a huge wall of money behind them at zero interest rates, which is the kind of big, you know, financial experiment of our era, which is low interest rates. I'll give you an example of some of the monies, like Kennedy Wilson, the company responsible for the Capitol Dock building on the Keys, which is very prominent and most people would would notice when they're driving around the city. They've spent in excess of 10 billion, that one company in Europe since 2011. So that's just a reflection of the size of the money. Sherry Fitzgerald estimates that about 7 billion euros has come into the build to rent sector, mainly in Dublin, since 2012. So we're talking about big numbers. There are literally dozens of funds now in the Irish market, and they're all basically paying for apartments to be built, to be rented in the build-to-rent sector. So the model we're actually witnessing at the moment are, are called forward purchasing agreements. This is where developers actually get paid from the outset by these companies to build. So instead of them borrowing traditionally from banks, they're entering these arrangements with these funds, they're building apartments for the rental sector. So, you know, when we talk about 20,000 homes being built or 25,000 homes being built, the actual amount of homes that come out onto the buyer's market for a couple to buy is very small because a third of them are being bought by these funds. Another third are being bought by the government for social tenants. And then there's another portion which are just single one-off units. So someone calculated recently that of the 20,000 homes that were built last year, maybe seven or 8,000 actually end up on the kind of open market, if you like. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult, tricky market to find yourself on as a buyer. Coming up, what will the interest rate hikes coming down the tracks mean for Irish mortgage holders? And what do spiralling building costs and sky-high rents mean for housing in Ireland? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Now talk to me about central banks, because we've seen central banks in other countries. We've seen the Fed in America, the Central Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, all increasing their interest rates multiple times in recent months. 
but so far we've had nothing from the European Central Bank. When can we expect that to move and what is it likely to do? Typically, the ECB is the last to move. I've read stats recently that suggest that the Fed in the US has implemented twice as many rate changes over the past two decades as the European Central Bank. So there's a number of reasons for this, but we won't get into that. And then at the current juncture for European policymakers to the added complexity of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that's threatening a full-blown recession at the heart of Europe. So Obviously, we've got a difficult balancing act. We've got inflation running in the Eurozone at about 7.5%, which is in excess of three times the target 2% rate. Obviously, there's pressure on them to move and they are going to move. But obviously, lifting interest rates is going to choke off investment. It's going to choke off employment. And if that meets a recession, that could be bad news for Europe. But at the moment... Christine Lagarde, ECB chief, and our own central bank governor, Gabriel McClough, have indicated that we're probably going to get a sequence of interest rate increases from July. Now, the markets are the ones to look at when you're trying to analyse what's actually happening. They're pricing in 90 basis points of rate hikes for the rest of the year. So in other words, that means we're going to get three to four quarter percentage point increases between now and Christmas. Now, as the economics correspondent of the Irish Times, your job is to look at the big picture stuff. But as the consumer affairs correspondent of the Irish Times, my job is to look at how things will impact individuals. So what impact would ECB interest rate hikes have on mortgage holders in this country? Yeah, if you want to get down to the kind of nuts and bolts, I mean, at the moment, new borrowers are typically entering into kind of fixed rate contracts in terms of mortgages. And they've been charged about 2.6% at the moment. So with those interest rate hikes that we've talked about on the horizon, that could go to 3 3.5%. So that increase in repayments could be, say, in the region of 90 to €100 Euros a month on a £250,000 mortgage. Now, the average price of a home in Dublin is 500 so you could double that to 200 So this would mean new borrowers paying in excess of €200 Euros a month more Tracker mortgage holders, right, which is the biggest cohort in the country, around 300,000. They've been the big winners of recent years, benefiting from literally zero interest rates. But that could all be about to change. So they could be, say, a 0.75% rise in tracker rates, again, would put 100 euros a month onto a typical £250,000 mortgage loan. So double that and you get 200 uh, euros a month. So these are beefy numbers. And remember, they're coming down the tracks in a period of much higher living costs. So we're getting absolutely screwed on energy at the moment. So imagine if I add another 200 quid a month, which might be two and a half thousand a year onto your housing costs. I mean, these are beefy numbers. Now, one of the big problems in Ireland when it comes to housing is a a chronic shortage of supply. We all know that house building virtually stopped after the last crash and then was really slow to get started again. But supply is improving now. Is that, at least, good news? I think you can definitely say that's good news. But again, you refer back to this lag factor. So, I mean, it was extraordinary to think that after the financial crisis, we literally stopped building. And that doesn't mean that there isn't, um, you know, young people coming out, looking, leaving home, looking for their own home young people getting married, having families, looking for their own homes. But we just literally stopped building. And it's taken us a decade to actually get back to building, even remotely at a rate that's commensurate with demand. 
So the central bank is forecasting about 25,000 new housing units this year, rising to 30,000 in 2023 and 35,000 in 2024. The 35,000 figure is quite interesting because that's roughly the estimated level of demand in the market, although some maintain that it's higher. Now, this, as I said in my piece, should exert further downward pressure on prices, especially given the chronic undersupply we've had for so long. A potential fly in the ointment is construction inflation. So that's gone through the roof like other forms uh, of, of inflation. So might that choke off a certain amount of this building? That's a big, big question. And that has, that has the potential to maybe stymie some of this supply. But given the natural demographic demand in the economy, it's good that we're building again. Now, the house market isn't just about homeowners. It's about home renters too. And in many ways, the two markets work in tandem. But we have a chronic shortage of homes to rent in Ireland. Why is that? And what impact does that have on the housing market as a whole? Yeah, I mean, the figures are, are the figures are just extraordinary on the rental side of things. We, we had a report from Daft just a few weeks ago, and that said rent price inflation was running at just under 12% in the first quarter of this year. And the reason for this was the supply of available properties had slumped to a new low, and that new low was 851 so on the main property website, there were just 851 properties available to rent nationally as of the 1st of May last. So this is the lowest number we've had since the series began in 2006. So extraordinary low figures. And of course, a lot of the supply pressure in terms of residential sales has transferred to the rental market. So we have added pressure in the rental market and we have very high levels of inflation as a result. The DAF report also did this calculation that it hadn't done before, which was it calculated what the inflation rate was for sitting tenants as opposed to mover tenants. So if you're in a rental agreement already, your rents may have went up by 1.5% typically last year. But if you were moving, your rents would have gone up by 10%. So you can see we have what's nearly the opposite of a virtuous circle in the rental market because we have people who can't buy forced to rent adding to the pressure. We have the government increasingly providing rent supports instead of building actual social homes, which is adding more pressure to a rental market. Both those factors and dynamics are bidding up rents. And then funds are coming in, seeing the uh, tasty yields and the tasty returns from the rental market. And they're essentially buying more properties, making the purchase market even smaller and adding more pressure on rent. So you have this kind of circle going round and round at the heart of the rental market. And I suppose the multi-billion dollar question is not if Irish property will reach a peak and then fall, but when Irish property will reach a peak. What's your best guesstimate as to when that might happen? Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're asking me an investment question there and, and these are difficult things to predict, especially with any great certainty. I don't think I'd be a journalist if I could predict the exact peaks and troughs of the property market with any great certainty. But we're definitely seeing a moderation of the COVID-related bubble. That's one thing. And you can see that in the price numbers. But we've got two big themes that are going to restrain buyers in the coming months. We've got the higher cost of living and then we've got higher interest rates, which are now a given. And we're going to see a moderation in headline inflation in the coming months. The question is, is that going to go all the way to contraction or a correction in prices? And that's the really difficult one to predict because it is so volatile and it does seem to debunk a lot of narratives that you have, you know, that Ireland 
is the demand demographics just insist that prices will continue to rise or that our chronic lack of supply makes us an exceptional case internationally. Well, we've had all that before and we, we've listened to those narratives and we and those narratives are correct, but it hasn't stopped, getting back to the original point, it hasn't stopped the innate volatility, the innate boom and bust that seems to go with this market. Now, in Ireland, we talk about house prices a lot. We talk about them when they're going up and we talk about them when they're going down. And we always say that now, whenever now is, is the toughest time to buy. Is Ireland unique in that obsession with house prices? And what do you think is behind that obsession? Yeah, well, that's a difficult question to answer, isn't it? I mean, do we have a unique obsession? The world at the moment is being torn apart, I think, by the housing market. I mean, you look from cities to Dublin, to London, to Berlin, to San Francisco, to Hong Kong, to Auckland, and you see young people priced out of housing markets, you see increasingly aggressive political debates about falling home ownership rates, all of which you can see here. Um, a primary reason, I suppose, why we have what what you describe as an obsession around property prices is we had the biggest financial crash on the planet in 2008, and that's still, we're, we're still living in the afterglow of that, if you like. And so... You could kind of forgive us for a certain amount of analysis and obsessing about this. Mm. But, you know, property prices, housing markets has become a really, really divisive issue across the globe. It's cementing a wealth divide. It's changing politics. I mean, Sinn Féin's rise here is predicated a lot on its criticism of the government over their housing policies. Even in Berlin, arguably the most stable property market in the world, citizens have voted to essentially strip funds of their stock in a bid to moderate rental inflation. So it seems ubiquitous, this issue around property. Mm. Um, you could probably also make the point, yeah, we do have a, a bit of an obsession wide because it has been a kind of, what I might describe as a kind of mini cyclone at the heart of the Irish economy blowing back and forth. But the big point for me is that it's cementing a wealth divide mm. and it's cementing an inequality. And there's a lot of young people that feel no matter how well they do in the labour market, the property game is rigged against them and they feel their stake in society is, you know, weakened as a result. Umber Kennedy, as ever, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks, Connor. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>